Hello. Um, before we start, I'll be really upfront with you. I thought this was like a 10-minute gig. Someone else was going to come and steal the show. Um, but apparently it's me. So, <laughs> um, let's see what happens. No, um, yeah, um, good morning. Um, you'll be surprised by, based on what I just said, that I used to speak in church quite a lot. Um, but it's been quite a long time since I've done that. Um, probably about three, four years. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that which I'll go into. Um, so I'm definitely a bit rusty, a bit awkward, a bit nervous. Um, but hopefully it'll be nice. Um, I also didn't know that there were the readings, so God uses all things. Um, but I wanted to share my own reading with you this morning before I share a bit of my story. So it's from Genesis 16. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and it was the spring that sat beside the road to shore. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So, as I said, a lot has changed since I last spoke in church. Um, I wasn't married then, but I am now. Um, I wasn't out as a queer person at the time. Um, And actually, Jesus was very different to me at that time. Um, And so I feel like we've come on a little way since then. Um, When I first came to faith, um, the reasons that I believed in Jesus were really different to what they are now. Um, I was 15 and absolutely hopeless, literally hopeless. Um, And I had, like, no self-esteem. I thought Annie was a bit naff. Um, And I was convinced that in order for me to be worthy of any kind of love or to be made to feel worthy or important, I had to be the best. I had to be the best daughter, the best sister, the best friend. I had to get the best grades at school. I had to be head girl, and I flipping well was. Um, <laughs> woo! And head boy, because he was a bit rubbish. But anyway, um, <laughs> but all is forgiven, obviously. Um, I didn't feel anything close to beautiful, though, despite all of those things. Um, and I think instead I looked at myself in the mirror and just saw somebody who was really broken. Um, my parents had separated um, and divorced uh, like quite a few years before and I think as I've got older I've sort of looked back on that time and see actually that really does have an impact on us as we grow up and I think it really impacted my well-being and my understanding of myself who Annie was Um, that and also that just being a teenager is wild Um, and so I think that all together complicated things for me a little bit Um, it was shortly after turning 15, that I started attending a church in Westcliff. Um, Louise, who's the vicar around the corner, was the vicar of that church at the time, so we love her. Um, my best friend at the time um, was her daughter, and she would reluctantly go to church because she felt she had to because she only lived next door. And, um, <laughs> and she dragged me along to um, like youth group events, and um, we played in like a little band. I'm not going to play here because I was not good. Um, but, you know, we gave it a go, and that's fine. Um, eventually, I ended up going to some of the Sunday services. And one morning, um, Louise was preaching, and she was 
preaching on the parable of the sower. And I think when we hear that, or I guess the general opinion of that, that parable is that it's about faith being rooted and about it having like a strong foundation and like, you know, what fruit is it going to bear because of how strongly rooted it is. Well, 15-year-old sad Annie heard that and thought, oh, I can bear the best fruit, no fruit, and Jesus still loves me. So that's when things really started to change for me because I sort of started to get it that actually he would see me as beautiful regardless of whether the fruit was all right or if it tasted nice or if it even looked okay. He'd still die for me the same and he'd still come back three days later and say, babe, that was for you because that's how Jesus talks to me. Um, (laughs) He's from Essex, my Jesus. Um, um, Anyway... Um, (laughs) so at that time the reason that I believed in Jesus was because he believed in me and I think it's important here I've made like a little extra note on my my phone is to say that actually like church is the first impression people get of Jesus so that church that I was going at the time that was my impression of Jesus then and that's why I understood of Jesus then so fast forward a few years I'm going to a new church in Lee. I was baptised at 17. It was all very dramatic. It was exciting. I felt brand new and squeaky clean. I then saw a video online of um, someone being baptised on YouTube and they'd put like a black bath bomb in their pocket. And as they went under, it sort of exploded out as if to be like, my sin is gone. And I really wished I'd done that. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, at that time, um, I was at this church in Lee, Baptist church, and I'd made new friends. I had like a proper Christian boyfriend, um, which I won't talk about him, but bless him. Um, And I had a head full of dreams for Jesus and of Jesus and about him. I was convinced that I was going to marry Mr. Annie and we would have seven sons named after biblical patriarchs and they would have 11 sons each and it would be like some sort of bit of Genesis where no one knows who is related to who. Um... We'd plant a mega church, we'd be preaching, we'd be healing people. Um, And I should say at this point that um, I also met Lauren at that time, who is now my wife. Um, So it's funny, isn't it, how God sort of sees what we want and what we're thinking and goes, "Mm, maybe not. Um, So when I was 17, um, I met Lauren and we became best friends. And I'm not going to cry yet. She just looked at me. Stop it. Um, <laughs> uh, we were baptised on the same day we had t-shirts, it was great they said bat bubble on the back um, but it was when I was 18 that I think seems started to kind of take a dip for me again my mental health really started to take a turn um, I went to the GP and he was like yeah I think you're probably depressed I looked at him and was like well yeah, me too um, and uh, he described me antidepressants um, I'd had a bad breakup, I've written here, with a total dawn. Will. Um, and I was living back in the headspace of a pre-Jesus Annie, of like looking in the mirror and thinking, like, you're rubbish. No wonder people don't care about you, no wonder people don't love you. Um, so at that time, believing in Jesus was about him being the light in a really dark place for me. Um, I wasn't too sure that he was totally happy with me or what I'd done. Um, but I knew that he loved me still and he wanted me to get better. 
University then came around, um, and after a week away at a Jesus festival, I felt like God was saying to me, study theology, Annie. Let's get back on that mad Christian train again. (laughs) Um, I felt like it would really help out with my megachurch, and Mr. Annie and I would meet across the lecture hall and, I don't know, fall in love over a Hebrew translation or something. Um, (laughs) Um... Anyway, so I went to Canterbury, um, Christchurch, not Kent. They, were, I don't know if you've ever know about much about the universities in Kent, but Kent Uni sits on top of the hill and it's like a Russell group. And I was at the NAF one at the bottom of the hill, <laughs> um, <laughs> Canterbury Christchurch. Um, but we were closer to McDonald's, so who is the real winner? Um, anyway, um, Lauren went to Greenwich to study teacher training. Um, we stayed in touch and we made a point of going to visit each other fairly regularly. Um, and it was around this time, as I said, that I was convinced again, like, Mr. Annie's going to turn up and he's going to be fine. Let's see. Um, and I thought I'd met him, actually. Um, he was really tall, like me. Um, he was funny, obviously like me. Um, and he had curly hair, again like me. I think I may have had a slight problem with my own ego at that point. Um... But yeah, people used to say to us, are you related? And I sort of wondered why he didn't like that, that we were going out and people thought he was my brother. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, so we were seeing each other for a little while and I was, you know, like this is, you know, we talked about what future and like we were at a church and we said, oh, it'd be really nice to get married here and all that stuff. Um, And then he went home for a weekend and came back with a new girlfriend. Um, And that message to me was loud and clear. So um, I've put here the breakup or the brush off, really, as it was, um, was really hard on me. Um, I think I'd sort of convinced myself that this was it, like this was the Christian dream, like churches like get married, do this for Jesus, and I thought I was on that track. Um, and it had stopped. His new girlfriend was around all the time, and I was sort of made to spend time with her. Um, I wasn't very good at saying no or having boundaries really back then. So he'd say, you have to be my friend and you have to make her feel welcome and you have to do it. So I did. And then I sort of threw myself into church um, more than I already had. And so the next period of my life with Jesus is what I've described as excessive Jesus freak. Um, I was obsessed with being this good girl, obsessed. I would be at church every meeting, every week, in the week, I'd be cooking for all the other students. Like, it was it was nuts. Um, Lauren would come and stay, and rather than showing her around Canterbury, I'd be like, we've got to go to my church. You have to come to my church. People must know that you come to church with me. Um, and it was about getting top grades in my theology essays and proving that I knew the most about the incarnation um, or that I knew the most about the doctrine of whatever, to which God would say to me, Annie, I know the doctrine of you, and you need to calm down. Um... <laughs> I even started a self-esteem project um, for the church that I was at in Canterbury, um, and it was for, like, women and students in the church. And we had this day-long conference, um, and this woman came to to sort of preach, like this guest speaker, and she wrote little notes for each of us. It was really beautiful, um, really nice day. But I sort of then, there was a little voice in the back of my head sort of saying, Annie, you're talking rubbish, saying all this stuff to everybody but you don't believe it for yourself. And then I'd go online and I would write long, drawn-out blog posts about how inspiring my faith was um, and holy singleness and what that means and blah, blah, blah. Um, 
such a fraud, such a fraud. Because meanwhile, Lauren and I had basically become a secret couple. Um, Or at least Lauren thought that. I was in denial um, and made that very clear to her every time she was there. Um, (laughs) um, I felt so guilty and like ashamed and panicked whenever my phone would flash, if it was Lauren, um, that someone would see her name pop up on my phone again. Um, or like when I spoke to her on the phone, like who was listening? When she came to visit, how were we sitting? Was I holding her hand or was I sitting too near to her like this? We'd go to church and I'd sort of maybe reach to hold her hand and then go away or I'd like, we'd cover it under a scarf or something like that. That was one of our like favorite little tricks that we used to do. Um, but I couldn't ignore the feelings that I had for her, but everything around me was telling me that it was wrong. And so, It was around this time that I believed in Jesus because I thought that's how I could keep hiding um, from everyone else at church, on my calls, from God himself. um, And this meant breaking Lauren's heart on the reg. (laughs) Sorry. She would be so wonderful and so kind, and I'd say, I'm going on a date with so-and-so later. Bye. Um, sorry. I read this to Lauren yesterday and really kept my cool. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so I would go out with other guys, and I'd talk to people, and I would make all the effort that I could to be the straight, good girl at church. which was made especially worse, thanks, (laughs) Um, because the church I was at at the time um, was a C of E church, and they were very big supporters of an organization called Living Out. Um, One of the people who was in the church was part of Living Out, um, and despite being married to a woman, described himself as a gay man, and I thought, gosh, I hope your wife's all right with that. Um... And if you don't know much about living out, they're very much a, I don't know if they would say this about themselves, but my perception of them is that they're very anti-LGBT inclusion, but it's made up of people who would identify as as LGBT or have done at some point in their lives. And it was also around this time that the Church of England was going through that big old debate, the first of many, as it turns out, about same-sex marriage. Um, And I lived opposite the cathedral in Canterbury, so I'd see the primates, who the hell are they, um, go in (laughs) with their bigger-than-big hats um, to go and argue about whether people like me, even though I didn't see myself that way, could get married. And as I watched them, literally, I can remember it now, like bobbing in to church with their hats, there was a small voice saying, they hate you. And you need healing. And my church at the time made this message even more concrete in us. Um, They called an emergency student leaders meeting, um, which then became an emergency student everybody meeting. And we sat in um, one of the church spaces and the vicar told us how we needed to believe what they were going to say and that there was no other way around it. Um, marriage was between a man and a woman and anything above that was wrong and that God was so disgusted by queer people he couldn't even look 
To which I put my hand up and said, does that mean he's bothered about them having sex then, if he's not looking at them? To which the vicar said, well, no, he wouldn't watch them do that. To which I thought, I don't know why he cares then. But again, that's where my theology was at the time, was this real confused kind of uncertainty about what I really thought about it. So after graduating and moving back home, um, Lauren didn't go away, um, thankfully. (laughs) Um, And we continued to see each other in secret, spend a lot of time together. Um, I got a job as a youth worker um, for a Christian charity in Tower Hamlets um, in East London, and they paid for me to train to be a qualified youth worker. Um, I then went on to be the manager there. The charity itself was linked to a very conservative evangelical church um, in East London, and I've written here, their views on the gays were all but positive. I remember sitting in meetings with the trustees as manager. I'd have my budget. Um, I can't do maths, but they gave me a budget. Um, and I'd have my sort of like agenda of things we needed to cover on our away days. And um, they would say uh, things like, quote, unquote, we couldn't have a leader or a manager in a same-sex relationship because we'd have to get rid of her. And I said, well, how would you go about that? And they said, oh, we'd make something up. So I then immediately felt panic and shame and guilt again and trying to hide behind Jesus in this really unsafe place to be me. Um, I remember also being told by co-workers at that time that God actually is so disgusted by queer people. It was a mistake. They're part of the fall. Um, and that the Hebrew word for abomination, the tovar, was true and that it means people like me. On another occasion at a Christian festival with a friend, um, there was this lady who, bless her, gave an amazing talk about her own kind of addiction with drugs and alcohol, and um, she said, oh, you know, I really feel like there's somebody in here whose heart's so broken for something that they're struggling with, like, come to the front. So obviously loads of people get up, because I don't know about you, but I feel like we all struggle with something here, right? (laughs) Um, So everyone gets up, we're all crying and sobbing, and it's smells like feet because it's a campsite in a field um (laughs) and uh this lady came to pray for me and I felt so flattered because the speaker had come to pray for me um and then it got a bit dark and she I told her that I was you know struggling with something that my church in Canterbury had coined same-sex attraction um and she prayed that God would clean me from my sin and make me his again. I started having psychotherapy. I don't know why that's made me cry. Um, (laughs) It is amazing though. Um, And this is no exaggeration, but it saved my life. I'd recommend therapy to everybody. I'll give you vouchers. Um, (laughs) It created for me a safe space. Sorry where I could talk about Lauren and me and God and me and it was okay I was never judged just loved and it was in these sessions that I saw a glimpse of how it could be for me and Jesus if I was honest with myself and I was honest with him so in the summer of 2019 Lauren decided that she wanted to tell her mum about us I'll let her tell you that story later (laughs) But her mum's here, so obviously it was all good. Um, I went into panic mode. Lauren came round um, 
and told me this over while I was making dinner and I think I don't know what I was making but there was some potatoes boiling and and we I think we meant to have mash anyway we ended up having like vomit because that was the texture of it because we were just arguing and like I was crying and shouting and like panicking so much like please don't tell anyone please don't tell anyone I'm not ready um I was so scared that when it got out that would be it God would find out everyone would find out I wouldn't be a Jesus freak anymore. I'd just be a freak. Um, and Lauren asked me to decide what I wanted. And obviously my heart was saying, it's you. I just couldn't reconcile my feelings with Jesus. No matter how many extra meetings I went to at the Baptist church again at home. And we all know that they can flipping well go on. Um, <laughs> or how many times I spoke in church like I used to. How many times I'd lead the prayers or I'd give up communion or I'd hold the like, you know, little bowl of money. But the fateful day came, Lauren told her mum, and I don't know how else to describe it to you, but the peace that came could not have come from anywhere but Jesus. And I just felt his voice say, I know, and I always knew, and it's okay. It was February half-term week, just before COVID happened. And Lauren and I took it a day at a time. We'd, we'd sort of had a list of people that we wanted to tell. Um, and we'd slowly get through that list bit by bit. My um, best friend is here today. And I gave her a candle um, when I told her. And I, she said, why have you given me this? And I said, well, I didn't know how you were going to react. So it's the essence of our friendship for you to take away with you. <laughs> <laughs> which he likes to remind me of on the regular. Um, Anyway, but with every confession and every kind of honest conversation that we had with our family and our friends, um, it felt like Jesus just was becoming real again to me, just like he had when I was 15. And it felt like I knew that Jesus was real in a different way because there was no kind of pretense. There was no sort of like gap or faff or like just lying around him anymore. I knew that Jesus saw me the way he saw Hagar in the desert. The outcast, the one who's not quite right, the wrongdoer, but the beloved one. And so from there the story goes, like most of us, shortly after COVID happened, it was pretty much after we'd told pretty much everybody that COVID arrived, so I'm taking that not as a sign from the Lord. Um, (laughs) um, um, But like everyone, I guess, that our faith was shaken and stirred up because of that and the struggles that we went through collectively and and individually in that time. So my view on church and my view on God started to change. What if church actually could be a place for everybody where anyone and everybody can fully participate in church life. They can speak on a Sunday um, and call babe in front, call God babe in front of everyone like I have this morning. Um, or, you know, they can do the prayers. Or they can just turn up on a Sunday like some people do and just need to be, and that's fine. And what if God was actually like that too? So after some very painful conversations with our old church, we made the decision to leave. And not long after getting engaged, and I literally mean minutes after getting engaged to Lauren, I think I said yes and then grabbed my phone, um, I emailed the office here at Shoebury and said, can we get married here? 
because I'd heard all about your long, drawn-out, fun conversations, I'm sure, of getting to a place where you could marry us. I say us as queer people, not just me and Lauren. That's a lot of like faff for that, isn't it? Because um, I'd prayed and prayed that if, if me and Lauren were going to do this, if we were going to make it work with Jesus, then there would be a place for us. It felt so far-fetched because church was not safe. And it hadn't been safe. But here we are. And I said earlier that church is the first impression we get of Jesus. And I speak for me, but also for other people that I know. Jesus is so angry with how church has treated LGBT people. It's not okay. And I don't say that about you here. Because we feel so welcome and so safe. But it's not, it's not enough. Like, it needs to be more. It needs to be better it needs to be more widespread and I'd like to finish by letting you know that whilst I'm now very much married here um, to my gorge Lauren over there proudly standing here as a bisexual woman nearly turning 29 not thinking about 30 next year um, in a very different place in my life and in my faith than I was when I was 15 I still really do struggle I still go to my beautiful therapy. I still take my antidepressants. I still have those tearful down days and I still get confused about life and what it means and what's next. But Jesus is Lord. And it turns out he always was. So I mentioned earlier that I mentioned and hosted this um, like self-esteem day um, for the people at my old church. And um, I sort of mentioned about the little cards that were written by the speaker that came um she did one for me and hopefully there's a picture of it coming um if you can't read it i'll read it to you annie i've called you to be a catalyst for change i've called you to bring people from darkness into light to set the captives free you will model my freedom to others as you live fully in my joy embrace all the colors of who you are i love them all and I read that after finding it when we'd moved into our house. Um, and at the time, I never really got what the colours bit was about. Um, but the gays love a rainbow, don't they? So uh, <laughs> I read that with fresh eyes. And, um, and I just knew that God saw me, sees me, will see me. And thankfully, he has always and will always love me. Thank you.